Today we'll be looking at a very familiar passage out of the Gospel of Mark. It's recorded here also in Matthew and Luke, and it's the account of Jesus calming the storm with a boatload full of freaked out disciples. But to fully grasp the application to us here in the year 2021, there's a few things that we need to look at first. First of all, we need to put ourselves, if we can, in the very shoes of the people that this gospel was originally written to, this original audience. You know, a lot of times we don't think about the Bible as being letters and books written to countries, to nations, about countries and nations, letters written to individuals, letters written to churches in times of peril. You stop and think about it, a lot of times we think the Bible is just a bunch of books put together and we read it and we come on Sunday and other than that it really has no effect on my life. But the people that the Bible was written to originally were people just like you and I. They struggled with their faith. They had situations arise in their life that they were wondering, God, is this part of your plan? Is this really happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And the ultimate question, God, where are you? We know that Paul's letters, the Pauline epistles, were written to churches as well as individuals. Peter wrote letters to churches. And we know that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, was written to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus. All this information that was given to those people back then is very important for us today, especially as believers In regards to the background of the Gospel of Mark, uh, we we have the understanding that Mark, even though this is a letter that does not bear his name or a gospel that does not bear his name, we believe that Mark wrote this letter. And as you read through the Gospel of Mark, it's full of eyewitness accounts. So we know that Mark was not an apostle. So where would he have gotten these eyewitness accounts? Well, we believe that because... uh, He was around Peter, that he took what Peter preached, and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this gospel of these deeds and these acts of Jesus Christ. Now, this was written around A.D. 60. Actually, it was written around the same time that the emperor Nero began the great persecution of the church. And this gospel was targeted to these Roman believers in the city of Rome who were struggling as they were being persecuted. You study history, you know that in AD 64, the summer of that year, the city of Rome called a blaze. The emperor at the time was Nero. Nero began to reconstruct the city to provide for the impoverished people that the fire had affected. But soon, rumors started milling around that it was Nero himself who had the fires started. To get out of that political pressure, he decides that he will make this group of people called Christians the scapegoat. During that time, there was a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus who lived during that time, and this is what he wrote about Nero and the persecution of the Christians after this fire. It says, Therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, he... Emperor Nero falsely charged with guilt 
and punished with the most fearful tortures, the persons commonly called Christians who are generally hated for their enormities. And what Tacticus is saying here with the word enormities is that the Christians did not adhere to the ills of the Roman society and culture. They did not adhere to emperor worship. They did not adhere to the pagan worship culture that was going on. And they were misrepresented and mislabeled because of the fact that they were called, one reason they were called cannibals because they practiced communion in the Lord's Supper. And then their love feasts were misconstrued as that they were a group of people who practiced all kind of sexual ills. And to the Roman society, these Christians were were immoral. They did not adhere to what the Romans believed. He further writes, Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, repressed for a time, broke out yet again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. Accordingly, first those who were arrested, who confessed they were Christians, next On their information, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much on the charge of burning the city of Rome, but as hating the human race. You know, history has uh, a way of repeating itself. The early Christians in the first century were considered haters of the human race because they did not agree with what the culture was saying was the right thing to do. Before we know it, all of us in this room will be considered haters of humanity. I mean, there's some people who believe Christians are haters of humanity because we don't adhere to or bow down to what the culture says is right. So when the, Romans, when the Roman believers received this gospel that Mark had written to them, he wrote it in such a way as a pastor, encouraging a group of struggling Christians to be able to hold on to their faith and what they were going through. And when they received the gospel of Mark, when they read it, reduced to existence in the catacombs there in Rome. They read in Mark's gospel where Jesus himself was driven deep into the wilderness. In Mark's gospel, they found that nothing they could suffer from the hands of Nero was alien to the experience of Christ. Like them, he had been misrepresented. Like them, they had, he had been betrayed by a friend. Mark's opening statement actually runs juxtaposed with the culture and the society and the religion of Rome. He starts it out in verse 1 of chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Two words especially stand out in that, if you're a Roman believer at that time, was the word gospel and the word Son of God. The word gospel in the first century didn't have the connotation that we have it of today of Jesus' works and what he did for us. It was related to the works of the emperor. You can find all kind of documents back in that area that talk about the gospel. And what it was, it was regards to news from the battlefield. What the emperor has done. The emperor has conquered. The emperor has done this. The emperor has done that. The other word that stands out is son of God. Augustus Caesar, who was the adopted son of Julius Caesar was considered the son of God. After Julius Caesar, which is kind of ironic, after he was killed by the Senate, he was deified, that he was a God. And because 
his adopted son was of Caesar's household, Caesar Augustus became known as the Son of God. You can see coinage from that day that said, Caesar Augustus, Son of God. The Egyptians even referred to Caesar Augustus as the Savior of the world. So Mark, as he's writing the gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit to these fledgling Christians that are being killed, that are being thrown in the arena, being burned in Nero's garden, they hear this, the beginning, something that will never end, a gospel that is from the true Son of God, good news. And doesn't everyone who is struggling want good news? Well, guess what? I have good news for you this morning. Let's pray, and we'll read, and we'll share out of Mark chapter 4. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, that we have the word of God, the truth. And as we sang about, Lord Jesus, you're the God who created the universe. You're the God that knows the beginning from the end. And yours is a kingdom that has no end. Unlike our governments and societies that we live in, just like back in the first century, Lord Jesus... Those things will come to an end. But during our time on earth, we struggle. We struggle with our faith. We want to believe, but we struggle with that. There are storms that come up in our life, and we have a hard time with those, wondering, God, why is this happening to me? But, Lord, I pray, God, this morning that you'll fill our hearts with joy because as believers, we serve the one true living God, the Son of God, who has the true gospel. I pray, God, you'll bless this time. Remove me. I pray, God, you'll speak to me and through me this morning. We ask these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? As we look at this text this morning, we see on display the humanity and the deity of Christ. Because he was fully man and fully God. Hard for us to wrap our head around and comprehend, but he was fully man And fully God, we'll see that. So what does this passage teach us? Well, first, to understand what it teaches us and to apply it, is what is it not teaching? This passage is not teaching that God is is going to calm the storm in your life. This does not teach that God's going to take you out of the, the situation that you're in or even restore what was lost. And well, how is that good news? The second thing that this passage does not teach, it does not teach 
that disobedience causes conflict and storms in your life. Because we see the apostles what? They were very obedient getting into the boat. As a matter of fact, God's Word tells us that as believers, as Christians, we're going to suffer. We're promised suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul tells in a letter to this young man who was struggling being a pastor at such a young age that all those who live godly will, mark her down, will suffer persecution. So what is this passage about then? Well, the passage is about who Jesus is. And so this tells us who Jesus is, and it helps us, knowing who Jesus is, to go through the persecutions, the struggles, the storms in life. In this room this morning, I'm looking out over the audience. I know people who have struggled, people who have gone through storms, people who have had their gut ripped out of their chest. They felt they've been kicked in the stomach. And perhaps more than likely you thought, is this your plan, God? And you've struggled to understand. You've struggled to have faith that God's going to carry you through. Well, guess what? You're, you're no different than those group of believers. And you're no different than me. I'm flesh and blood just like you. And I struggle. Jesus' apostles struggled to the very end. Remember Peter? Peter didn't really believe that Jesus had arose, even though John came back and said, the tomb's empty. Remember Thomas? Thomas said, I won't believe until I see the marks in his hands. In this scripture, we see three things. For those of us who have put our trust in Christ and know who Jesus is, there's three promises that you can securely hold on to when your life is turned upside down. First one is Jesus has a plan, and it's a perfect plan. Second is that Jesus is present in perils. He cares for you. That's why He's there with you. And thirdly, Jesus is the only one that has power to provide peace in the midst of your peril. So look at our first point this morning. Jesus has a perfect plan. Verse 35 through 37 of Mark chapter 4 says, On that day. Now here's something. On that day. I want you to think about this as we're going through this. If you've not had that day, that experience that these apostles are fixing to have, well, your world is upside down. You don't know what to believe. You're crying out for God. It seems like he's asleep on the back of the boat. How are you going to handle that? What are you going to look to to bring yourself through what's going on in life? If you've not experienced that day, I can guarantee you, if you're a believer, that day's coming. And I want to put the cart before the horse just a little bit. And if you're not a believer, you have no idea about the plan. You have no idea about what peace is like, and you have no idea that God is with you because He's not if you're not a believer this morning. So we read this, On that day when this event happened, when evening had come, He said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with Him in the boat, just as He was, and the other boats were with Him. So imagine this. The beginning of chapter 4 tells us what is going on. 
Jesus starts preaching in a large crowd gathered around to hear what he had to say. When Jesus spoke, people listened because he spoke in such a way that it intrigued people. They had been under the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. And remember one time when Jesus preached, the people said, Man, this guy preaches with authority, not like the Pharisees. You know what that meant? That meant, wow, this guy preaches like he wrote it. And he did write it, did he not? So all these crowds around, they're listening to Jesus, and they're just soaking in these parables that he is teaching. And I can picture, look to the side, and I see his apostles basking in the sun, the S-O-N and the S-U-N. It's a beautiful day. You can hear the water just softly lapping up against the shore. And you have this carpenter on a fisherman's boat on the bow preaching to a multitude of people. This goes on all day. And Jesus is getting weary. And he comes to the point where he finishes up and he tells his disciples, get in the boat and we're going to the other side. Well, the apostles had no idea the, the intent of Jesus' plan or Jesus' full plan. Unbeknown to them was what Jesus' plan had in detail. See, chapter 5 tells us what Jesus' plan was. He was going across the Sea of Galilee. He was going across the Sea of Galilee for one particular man. There was a man there who was possessed with demons, a legion of them, the Bible tells us. This was a man that was in a desperate, dire situation. He had been strapped with with cords and with chains, and the power of the demons inside them would not let him be restrained. He would break those out. Nobody would come to where he's at. He was such in bad state of mind, possessed by demons, that he was pushed off into the graveyard with all the other dead people. And no one, you could say, cared for his soul, but Jesus did. Part of his plan. When things happen to us, we don't know why sometimes, but you can bet your last dollar that God has a plan that supersedes what we think is going on. What's going on with me or you may not be for me or you. It may be for someone else. So he goes to a man who's in dire straits. And the Bible tells us that the next time we see this man after Jesus cast the demons, I mean, he was sitting in his right mind at Jesus' feet. As you read through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see Jesus meeting the needs of desperate, dire people. That's us, is it not? Aren't we a desperate people? We need hope. We need faith. We need what these songs spoke about that we sing. Jesus said, come, we're going to cross the other side. They didn't understand that as much as they probably didn't understand when Jesus called them to be his disciples. Other people who said, yes, I want to follow you. He said to them, well, this is the plan. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. That was a symbol of get ready to die, get ready for bad things to happen. What kind of plan is that? But they trusted in God's word, in Jesus' word, 
They got in the boat. The Bible tells us they took Jesus just as he was. That means that Jesus didn't go back to his house and freshen up to get a Lunchable and a, a drink. He got right in the boat. They followed him. They were obedient to his word. They took him at his word. They heard Jesus verbally speak. Us today, like those early Christians, didn't hear Jesus verbally speak. But what they had, they had the written words of Christ. That's what we have. That's what secures us in our life is that we have the Word of God. John said that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We don't have the audible voice of Jesus ringing in our ears, but we do have what He said. We do have God's Word. So now they're off. The plan is to go across the other side, and what could possibly go wrong, right? Because Jesus is with them. You know, so many people walk away from the Christian faith because they're taught falsely that you become a Christian, your life will be a bed of roses. It'll never be better. And then when storms come, when disappointments come, when the death of that loved one comes, they say, what kind of plan is this? Who is this Jesus? that They've been misinformed. We live our lives like that, don't we? Life goes on and goes on, and things are good. We're going out fishing. We're going out kayaking. We're having a great time. And then in our lives, something happens. We lose a job. Something happens with one of our loved ones. And then we respond to Jesus, probably not in the sense of, Lord, help me, but why me? We see that happen in verse 37. We see the storm comes up. Sailing along, out of the blue, the storm comes up. Now, on the Sea of Galilee, it is the lowest body of water, elevation-wise, on the globe. It sits about 700 feet below sea level. Around it are the mountains. And when the cool air comes down off those mountains onto that body of water where that air is warm, it creates storm-like conditions to the to the point that sometimes it's like a hurricane force gust of wind and waves. I've been told I've never been on it, but I've, I've heard that Skelac Lake can become like that. So picture this. This was not a big luxury liner. This was a small boat, probably enough room for... It was probably packed with those guys in it. And the storm comes out of nowhere. And we read that when this happens, these guys kind of lose their mind. I guess I would lose my mind too if that happened to me. So who we, what we have is not only are the external forces of the storm causing the panic, but also the internal forces are kicking in. The emotion. You know, the emotion that happens when bad things happen to us. And we start saying, what kind of plan is this? Where is Jesus? This is going on. He's sleeping. And this is happening in my life? So maybe they're not thinking right now like they were before they got on the boat. Wow, Jesus is awesome, isn't he? Jesus, why are you allowing this to happen? What kind of plan is this? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God has a perfect plan. We don't understand it because we cannot understand the mind of God. Who can understand the mind of the Almighty? We can't. God's ways are higher than our ways because He knows the beginning from the end. The plan that we think is failing is not really failing because God is in control. We only see part of it. But when our desire is to live in step with God's plan, we can have confidence that even through the most terrible times in our life, that God is still in control. Romans 8.28 automatically comes to mind, does not? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, to His plan. But here it is. If you're like me, I'm flesh and blood. I doubt God's plan sometimes when things are going awry. I doubt. Unlike the guy who came to Jesus who's child was possessed by a demon and have seizures and the, the demon would often throw the child into the fire and he came up, he was in desperate straits, Mark talks about this in Mark chapter 9 he, he came to Jesus and said I know that you can heal, heal her if you will Jesus calmly said if you believe all things are possible and you remember what he said, he said I believe but help My unbelief. Don't we all struggle with that? We believe, but God, I need some help in believing. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. We've all experienced that. But do you trust God's plan? When the worst thing that you can think possible is happening to you, do you trust God's plan? Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own, your own understanding. The second thing we see in this text is that Jesus is present in perils. He cares for you. But we see in verse 38 here, where is Jesus? Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. Why would the writer tell us that our Lord and Savior is sleeping in the back of the boat when His disciples are in a panic mode? Doesn't this indict Jesus as being uncaring? If he had been awake, couldn't he have stopped the storm before it even happened? How many times have you been in that situation? God, you could have stopped this from happening. You could have kept this from happening. We all fall prey to that because that's our human nature. But we see here two things. We see because God is fully human... And God is, well, Jesus is fully human and He is fully God. Because He was fully man, He was exhausted. He had been preaching all day in the hot sun. He was wiped out physically. That's hard for us to imagine because we don't think of Jesus as being human. But if He had not been human, He would not have any understanding of what you and I go through. He would not understand betrayal. He would not understand. Think about when He was in the garden. How human is that? Father, let this cup pass from me. 
The Bible tells us that he laid down and he was moaning and groaning because of what he was fixing to go through. And had he not been human, he wouldn't understand what you go through when you lose that child, when you lose that loved one, when you lose that job, when you get betrayed by your friends. And because he was fully God, he didn't fear the things that he was in control of. What we should find in this is that the comfort that we serve a God who is fully in control and fully aware of what we go through. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, here it is, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. And He's perfectly present with us when we go through those perils. He knows what you're going through. The original audience to Mark's gospel needed to know that He was with them during this time of tribulation and persecution. We need to know that. And we need to have the faith to believe it. God's Word tells us that faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. We just talked about Christ is the Word, the Logos. The Word became flesh. How do we grow in our faith to believe that God is with us during this time? By hearing God's Word and adhering to what it tells us to do. We practice that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his sermon that he wrote, Christ asleep in the vessel, in regards to that crazy moment when the apostles were saying, Teacher! Do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care about us? He says, Master, care you not that we perish? Many of them cried out. One said one thing and one another. But their general spirit was one of complaint to their Lord. They knew He loved them and yet half thought Him cruel. They trusted Him and yet had grievous doubts. They called Him Master and yet they were in a sort of semi-rebellion against him. They acknowledged his sway, but were ready to mutiny against him because he did not exercise his power for their rescue. Uh, we can see ourselves in that same situation in that boat, can we not? At this point, they're not fully convinced that Jesus' plan is perfect. That same night... Peter was in that boat. He learned a lesson there, as we know Peter. Peter was always learning lessons. But in 1 Peter 5, 7, he wrote this about trusting that God cares about you, that He's present in peril, casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. But how do I know, how do we know that Jesus cares for us? Very simple, because He died for you. Think about that. Romans 5, verses 7 to 8. Let's go there real fast like. We know the Apostle Paul wrote this. I think this goes well with this. Romans chapter 5. 
verses 7 through 8. Well, actually, let's go 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much He cares for you. And He still cares for you and I when we are in those perils. Romans 8, 35-39, when you think about this, and it's something we need to meditate on, especially when we're going through those times where the storm hits us. God cares for us so much that Paul said nothing, nothing can separate us from His care, from His love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is with you in perils because He loves you. The third thing is that Jesus is the only one that has the power to give you peace during those times. He speaks to the sea. He says, peace, be still. He didn't shout it. He didn't say, oh, come on now. Stop it. Stop it. Right? He says, peace, be still. So you have the creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence. Now speaks to the wind and he speaks to the sea and they obey him. You serve a God that is in control of the elements. The raging storm stops. It's completely still. It happened just like that. It didn't take a couple minutes for the, the waves to start Dying down, it happened just like that. Peace doesn't mean, though, when you're going through these storms of life, that that pain and that hurt will go away. That pain and that hurt may stay for some time. Sometimes we need to stop and we need to think. Psalms 46.10 reminds me of this passage in Mark. The psalmist writes, be still and what and know that I am God. That's what the wind and the waves did. They were still because they knew who said to them, hush, be still. September 24, 2019 is a day that my family will remember. During this time, uh, my wife's younger brother was... Uh, in hospice, and he was dying, cirrhosis of the liver. We knew that he was going to die. It was just a matter of time. One after, that afternoon on the 24th of September, my wife and my youngest daughter, Amy, were sitting in the living room, and my wife's phone rang, and it was her brother, Nathan. 
she walked out on the back deck that's right beside her living room. Within a couple seconds, and I still remember this, I heard the sound of someone in severe heartache and pain as my wife was sobbing. And some of you have heard that type of sob where someone loses something and their heart's ripped out and the air is kicked out of your stomach. She was bawling uncontrollable. I didn't know what to do. Ben and Katie uh, were here visiting before they were living here this time. I went to go get them and bring them to the house so that we could somewhat console my wife in her, in her grieving it. We didn't know her dad was going to die. He, he dropped dead like that. I come back home, and I see on the love seat my youngest daughter Amy sitting with Sandy. And Amy had the Bible out, and she was reading aloud out of the book of Job to my wife. The power of God's Word to bring peace to someone in a time of turmoil. You need to remember, there's people in this room, I'm looking out, that have experienced things that worse and worse. And I've seen you, and other people have seen you from afar, saying, how are they going through that? Some of you I know personally, and you would say, because God gave me a peace that passes all understanding. I don't know why. The pain's still there, the grieving's still there, but there's a peace. Knowing that God has a perfect plan and that He's with me. And the only peace that I'm getting right now is from God's Word. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalms 119, 165 says this, Great peace have those that love thy law, and nothing shall make them stumble. You know, a lot of times, we on the outside have this facade bit up that everything is okay, and inside, our hearts are wrenched, our guts are wrenched. God can take care of that. John 16, 13, my wife told me, if you use this, Scripture, make sure you finish it. A lot of times when we preach on suffering, we use the beginning of this, but we don't finish it. But the finishing part is the hope. It's the promise. John 16, says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And then we stop there. But the last part is the icing on the cake, is it not? But take heart. Oh, that's where it gets you, right? When those storms come in, it just rips the heart out of your chest. But take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Beloved, that's exciting to know that you serve a God who has a perfect plan. Perfect. No matter how we see it, how, no matter how we view it from down here, it's a perfect plan. We serve a God that is present with us in peril. And we have a God that gives us peace because He's overcome the world. In verse 40, we see that the disciples are made aware of their lack of faith. Jesus said, Have you still not have faith? 
We're like that, are we not? We have faith, like I said earlier, but it's a little faith. But, oh, don't you want your faith to grow? Well, it's by exercising what we hear from God's Word and trusting in what God says. The last thing is the question that all of us in this room need to answer. As they saw Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, calm the elements, be in control of all that, they looked at each other and they said, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey Him? My question for you this morning is, do you know who Jesus is today? Is He merely a good man, a prophet that lived about 2,000 years ago? Perhaps you believe that He existed, but you don't know Him as the Son of God, the one that has a perfect plan, the one that can be with you in times of peril, the one, the only one that can provide peace. If you don't know Him as your personal Savior, then the only plan for your life that's guaranteed is you'll split hell wide open and hell will be your home forever. If you don't know Him as your Savior, He's not present with you when you're going through those gut-wrenching perils of life. And if you don't know Him as your personal Savior, you'll never have the peace that passes all understanding. You'll go to the bottle. You'll go to uh, pills. You'll go to something else because you don't have the access to that peace. There's an old saying that goes like this. No, N-O, Jesus. N-O, no peace. K-N-O-W, no Jesus. K-N-O-W, no peace. And to the Christian, the title of the sermon was, on that day, what's going to happen to you when that day arises? Because it's coming. You may say, I already went through one of those. Well, we all know another one's coming. So what will you do when life strikes you down? We need to remember that Jesus has a perfect plan in all this. I need to trust Him. That He's present with me because He cares for me, because He died for me. And that He will give you the peace and the grace that you need to go through what you're going to go through.